And cue music. Welcome back to another episode of A-Sides. This is Brent, and today I was talking with Mr. David Hales, the founder, singer, songwriter, guitarist for the rock band Sonic Fuel. Uh, when David called, we just kind of started chatting before I could hit the record button, so this will kind of pick up mid-conversation, but it was a really damn good conversation, so I'm going to leave it unedited, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, I was going to say, man... Uh, this kind of started like uh, when uh, I'm sure we'll get into mentioning him later um, as he's playing on your record. But uh, we interviewed Damon Johnson a while back, and it was the same kind of deal. Like we just started talking, and I was like, "Oh shit, I got to hit the record button, man!" Like because <laughs> we just hit it off, and it was like, uh, "Hold on a minute, before we get into this, man, that is wild. That is wild." <clears throat> But yeah, Damon David, is such man. a good person, man. Yeah, no, he is one of the nicest guys I've ever met, let alone nicest, uh, you know, rock stars. So, undoubtedly, uh, that's an understatement. Yeah, yeah, I've played a couple shows with him myself, and I, it's both times I met him was just great, and then the interview was great, and uh, but yeah, man, we can circle back around to that. Uh, if you want to start off um, talking a little bit about you know your your upcoming album, uh, you got a you got a single that's out, and uh, that is called "I Will Rise," which I really like that song, man. I mean, that's you know out of the the list of bands that your your guy uh, sent me. I, you know, I looked you guys up first just because it just said rock. It didn't have any other unnecessary subgenres and bullshit attached to it. I was like, ah, rock. I mean, that's, I'm a fan of a lot of different kind of music, but for the most part, just straight up rock is what does it for me most of the time, you know? So, so I looked you guys up and, and I listened to that, that song, the one single that you got out. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is, pretty good start for the first band I'm listening to out of out of this list that he gave me so I was really excited to talk to you about it well that is uh, awesome to hear man that's and I I mean it's an honor this is the first radio program that that I've been on representing the album the band the first single so uh, it's an honor and man I'm deeply appreciative of this opportunity from a sides. So, um, yeah, you know, you just saying what sort of the less is more like rock. I mean, there's so many different subcategories going on these days. It seems to be never ending. And, and that's kind of how we started out was what, what do we want to do with this thing? Do we want to do something that's trendy? Do we, do we do we try to just win a popularity contest on uh you know using this that and the other and and the answer was that it you know this time was no way i mean let's just go back to the basics um and make the songs be as warm punchy dynamic and imperfect as we can 
that's what rock and roll is. And that's what I grew up listening to. And I know you did too. So, um, you know, everything that you hear this first song and I'm, I'm anxious for you to hear the other tracks as well, but, um, it, it follows a, a concept of, you know, honoring our roots and, and paying tribute to it, man, with just, just, just plain rock and roll. That's it. And, you know, you saw the EPK and we're sort of latching onto that. Not that we're a saving grace for rock and roll, but, you know, we're, <laughs> it's not dead. We're, we're, we're kind of trying to help prove it's not dead, as crazy as that sounds. Right. No, I, I did watch that EPK and, um, you know, only getting the, the short, you know, samples of uh, each song, or I don't know if that's even every song was represented on that EPK, but, but I mean, it sounded like it's going to be a solid rock record, you know? I mean, judging by the little snippets of those tunes, I mean, they all sound like they hold up to that single that you put out. They sound catchy. They sound like they're produced yeah. great, you know, and they got some grit to them, so... Man, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you can appreciate that just from the EPK. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing the whole thing, man. So, um, so you got a lot of players on this by the looks of it. Um, I guess first of all, so you write all the songs just yourself, or did you co-write them? Yeah, my uh, my buddy Chris Robbins, who's a phenomenal drummer, guitarist, and writer. Uh, he and I did uh, the pre-production together and, you know, just basically started off wanting to do one or two singles because so many, so many artists are doing that now and it works in this time and day um, on all the streaming services and with YouTube, you know, it's okay to release a single. So that was the idea. Um, but once we got into pre-production, um, it just started to build some momentum and we, you know, I'd bring another song in and, you know, seem to get some traction. And, you know, it's just a lot of positivity. We felt like these songs were fairly melodic. They had some decent hooks. And, of course, you know, some of them didn't make the cut, as always. But um, a couple more that I brought in that Chris really liked. And I said, well, you know, man, I'm a little bit stuck here. Um, I've got a verse and I got a riff and he, and I said, you know, what do you think? And man, he would come up with something right off the bat. If it really happened organically, it wasn't something that we just drew out for a long period of time. And those two songs, um, it's kind of ironic because one of the two songs that I co-wrote with Chris became the first song on the record. It's called Good Things. Um, and then, you know, a guy that I have looked up to and has inspired me for 25 years is Damon Johnson from Brother Kane. And we've talked about Damon before. And the second song that Chris and I co-wrote together is called The Brink. And of the three tracks, not to get ahead of ourselves on on talking about Damon and Brother Kane and so forth, but of the three tracks that Damon played on. And I told Damon this. I said, listen, man, I'm I'm definitely biased, but I'm here to tell you that your solo, actually there's two solos in that song, The Brink, um, is some of the best material I've ever heard you play on anything, in any, any band he's been in, any project he's been involved in. So 
I'm just chomping at the bit for that to get out because the little snippet on the EPK is just it's just a taste of it. So Damon's a monster, even better guy. But um, but yeah. So to answer your question, I rambled on. I uh, wrote all the songs except for one cover, which is called "Want to," and Chris Robbins and I co-wrote uh, two of the tracks. Okay, right on. And with, and maybe you already kind of answered this. I don't know. Um, Chris Robbins, he's also the one who produced it, or did he just work with you in the pre-production part of it, writing and? Well, Chris, yeah, Chris was involved. In all of the pre-production, obviously track drums on uh, on all the songs except for I Will Rise, which is, in fact, my uh, 15-year-old son is the drummer on I Will Rise. That's a whole other story. But uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you that if that was your son when I saw the, the EPK. Yeah, yeah. Uh, special moment for sure, that whole that whole process. But, um, but, you know, I was able to bounce things off of Chris, even when we took the project to Lakeside. I mean, he was, you know, he was an ear that I could, I could lean upon and say, you know, Hey man, you know, we're always emailing and, and texting files to each other. Um, even if it's just fragments of a song and I might send him something, shoot him an MP3 and say, Hey man, you know, here's the first verse and the chorus. What do you think? And he would offer his opinion, and and we would, you know, a lot of times incorporate that into the the you know the track once we were at Lakeside Studios in Knoxville. Okay. So I meant to ask this earlier. Uh, where are you guys based out of? Because I did not see that. Yeah, yeah, Is man. It? We are we are based in Knoxville, Tennessee, about okay. three hours three hours east of Nashville. Okay. I was gonna ask if it was if you were based out of Nashville, but um I don't remember seeing that information anywhere and I probably just overlooked it because sometimes I don't have the best eye for detail. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No worries, man. Yeah, Knoxville. There's a there are a ton of of talented musicians and writers in Knoxville. Chris Blue's from Knoxville. The Dirty Governor's from Knoxville. Um, you know, and Dolly Parton, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of her, but, you know, she's just down the road in Sevierville. So East Tennessee, is there's just a, a plethora of talent. And um, so, yeah, it's a great place to be, man. Right on. Okay. Well, I kind of took it off course there a little bit, but <laughs> we circle back <laughs> no, to the record no here, but... Felt like asking it because it's probably you know information I should have asked right out the gate, um, just to have an idea. No, so good. there was another there was another guitar player that was mentioned in the EPK, and I I'm drawing a blank on the name, but uh, he was a oh man. Well, no, I don't necessarily expect you to remember all of them. We you that really we <laughs> He was a muscle uh, muscle shoals guy, I believe. There is you what go. you mentioned. <laughs> there you go. Um if that doesn't get your attention, muscle shoals, I don't know what will. Um It ought to, yeah. Especially you you know, guys like you and I, right? So but no, Brent, um it's weird how that happened. That is Will McFarlane. Yeah, okay. And um and he's it, a session player there at Muscle Shoals, correct? Exactly. Right. Yep. Um, you know, was best friends with Jimmy Johnson, who just passed away not too long ago. Um, but but 
you know, so many cool things that happen in the process of making the record that I feel so blessed to be a part of. Um, and one of those is Will McFarlane. But briefly, the uh, the story is that once we once I took the entire project to Travis Wyrick at Lakeside Studios in Knoxville, um, we did a couple of weeks, and then he had a week where uh, he was going to go to Muscle Shoals to produce a uh, six-song LP uh, with some of the session players uh, for a a local Knoxville artist. And, of course, they had their own engineer. um, But he met Will McFarlane, and they hit it off. Um, And Travis came back. We we talked a lot about the entire experience. Of course, it was mind-blowing for me. And he's talking about these players that I have seen and heard for, you know, for decades and, and how special that experience was. And, um, you know, the intent of the record was to take each song and bring in the best player, not to compare this any at all to Steely Dan, but kind of that same type of approach was select the song, figure out, what direction we're going with it, what style it lends itself to and bring in the players, whether it be buddies of mine or guys that I've played with in bands prior to, um, or in other cases, you know, like with Damon, there were three tracks we thought would be great. And I just asked Damon when I saw him last June in Nashville, I just asked him if he was interested in playing on it, man. He was super fired up about me making the record and he was all in. But with Will, Travis came back and said, man, I think there's four or five tunes on this track that Will could really do it some justice on. So why don't we reach out to him and see if he's interested and you really have a, a definitive timetable on this record at all, either in pre-production or in, in, in actually tracking the record. So uh, Will, you know, we reached out to him and he said, man, I think I'm coming through in a couple of months. And so we just continued to work on the record until he was able to come through Knoxville, man. And, uh, he came in and, uh, we talked, it was, it, it was challenging to, to track in some cases because his stories were, as you could imagine, um, off the chart. I mean, telling stories about different musicians that we grew up idolizing and people like Bernard Purdy. Uh, and it was, it was, it was a really cool experience, man, but Will was so humble and all about making the songs better. He wanted my input. Uh, it really made a difference. And he, he, you know, he came in and said, David, this is not about me and what I want. It's all about what you want, what you think is going to make the record better, the song better. And so it was a special experience, man, without a doubt. Yeah, that's very cool, man. I'm uh I'm a bit envious in that regard, so <laughs> that's a, that I mean it's just cool to have, you know, the memory of of making a record with guys like him and Damon and, you know. And who who played bass on this? I don't I don't recall there being a bass player listed. Yeah, it's uh Burton Akers is is my bassist. Oh, okay. Uh Burton's been around a long time. He's He's played the circuit in the Sevierville, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, 
uh, arena for, for a long time. And he's a guy that you can use and, and, and just likes to, Burton really reminds me more of, uh, the Motown bassist, uh, James Jamerson, that, you know, you don't really know why the song's grooving. You don't necessarily know why the song's grooving, but a lot of times it's the bass. He knows when to play and when not to play and just does things naturally that really add to the song. And so, yeah, Burton's a special player, man. Well, that's very cool. Yeah, a bass player can definitely... Add a lot of flavor, man. So, you know, rhythm section all the way around. You're only as good as your rhythm section as far as I'm concerned. So, but that's no uh, doubt about it. It's a good deal, man. Well, it sounds like you got a, you got this thing pretty much in the bag at this point. Like, is it, is it finished or? It, it is finished, man. We, uh, we got the masters back in late February. Um, so we actually have a finished product, um, that is ready. Uh, we due to COVID, we, it's crazy. We had a, we had a release concert planned uh, for June 6th and we planned it well in advance. So uh, a lot of people knew about it, but when COVID hit, um, we obviously had to shelve that and we just took a couple steps back and figured out, ways to kind of make it work and part of that strategy was let's just release singles with videos three to four singles with accompanying videos and try to get as much traction as we can um and just see how it goes and uh we're scheduled to release the the album right now in mid-november and hopefully we uh, follow that with you know a release concert but uh, that's still up in the air, man. There's so much uncertainty going on, as you know. But right. um, we've got we've got three or four singles that we're planning on releasing before the record is is released officially. Well, yeah, that's you know that sounds like a good plan because you know I'm assuming you're probably going to press CDs. Maybe some people don't anymore, but you know if you do that and you're not going out and playing shows and slinging merch to make some of that money back you know it's kind of a bummer to have it go out there and then not be able to tour behind it so i i I don't know if you still buy cds or not brent but i i i mean i it's weird to have a cd and i had i've had so many people say yeah i want a cd i want to be able to see and touch something and and a couple of obviously asked for vinyl, and that's a whole nother story. Uh, but yeah, uh, it gets expensive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a total. It really is. I'm a total vinyl and CD junkie. So I have tons of CDs. I still mostly anymore because of the digital era. I buy vinyl more than I do CDs now, and I'll just listen to, you know, on my phone with headphones and earbuds and whatnot. But in my car, I still just have a CD player in my car, it, which it actually had a USB port, but it broke like a month after buying the damn car. So No. Uh, so, so now you're even more reliant on the CD player. So, yeah. So when I'm in my car, I'm still listening to CDs. So it's funny because sometimes I'll listen to a new album and I'll say, you know, it'd be cool to have this on vinyl, but I think I'm probably going to listen to this kind of music in my car more than anything. Like it just sounds like a... 
drive in with the windows down kind of band, you know. <laughs> so I'll end up ordering That's the, the way CD. That's what it should be, right? So, I mean, I, I, I certainly buy my share of singles, but, you know, I've got so many CDs and my, you know, my son just, he's last, I mean, he's just like a deer in the headlights when he, when he, he sees all these CDs and these bands that he's like, man, he pulls them out. He opens up the jacket and reads the information. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a cool experience. It makes you feel, I think, closer to the artist and it's, it's something tangible, man. There's, there's meaning to it, you know? So I don't know, maybe I'm old school, but, I, I think Man. I think we're we're a lot in the same that way. Say, there, that there's a lot of us. people that want it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, very cool. The vinyl market, you know, has blown up over the last few years. The CDs have kind of been going to the wayside, but. Um, but I, I'm I'm going to admit, you say you play vinyl, so I'm not going to act like I've been on that bandwagon for ten years. But I I did get a. I got a record player for Christmas and um, I bought, I bought the Eagles greatest hits, not necessarily because they're my favorite band or, or whatever, just but because of the precision and the quality of the recording. I thought that would be perfect to be the first record to play on my new, my, my new phonograph. Right. So right. that was it. And I, I swear when I first started listening to it, um, I think I listened. You, it sounded like I was standing or actually kneeling down in the studio with my ear right beside Don Henley's hi-hat. That's, I mean, and you can appreciate that because you listen to vinyl, but that's how pristine in the clarity. And it you know, just blew me away. We've kind of dumbed ourselves down with how we listen to music anymore, you know, but right. very cool experience. Yeah, man, I, I've had, I don't have the argument so much anymore because it's, you know, become a new trend again and, uh, kind of had its little rebirth here, but years back, probably 10 years or more, um, was when I really started collecting vinyl Okay, and buying like the high end, you know, turntable and, and two power amp, blah, blah, blah. I won't get into all that because that's, you know, <laughs> we start geeking out over that stuff and <laughs> I'd ramble forever probably. But, um, but you know, I had a conversation with a buddy one day because he, he thought I was out of my mind. He's like, why do you have that? Like, I, who, the, who the hell listens to records anymore? And so I said, you know what? I'm going to show you something. We're going to A-B an album because I actually happened to have a rig at the time where I had like a, a mixer hooked up where I could just flip a switch and go from my CD player to my record player. Okay. And so I put on the first Kiss album, CD, vinyl, started them at the same time, and I started the the CD, and I'm cranking it up, and, you know, my buddy's like, yeah, okay, it sounds pretty good to me. I go, yeah, but watch this. And I flipped it to the record, and all of a sudden there was all this low end, and it sounded huge, and my buddy just was like, Oh shit. Okay. I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, I mean, he just, he admitted he was a moron and was wrong and we moved on. But I mean, yeah, it's just one of those things we, I think we forgot over time. You just slowly, 
it, it became more about convenience than it was about the quality of the the experience listening to the music, you know? No, absolutely. I'm, and I'm, I'm guilty of that as well, but that, no, that what you did for your buddy, you really need to do that on YouTube, right? Yeah. I don't Here's even have that set up anymore, unfortunately, <laughs> but I, I could probably okay. rig it up, I guess, but it was, uh, but yeah, no, you're probably right. You could educate a whole audience. Um, I hope, I, you know, and I hope there's a desire for vinyl. I haven't invested in it, man. We just started out. We, we're not even out of the station yet, man. It's, it's the, the first single was released Monday. You know, we're in the midst of a pandemic. We're not playing out. And, and it's really been an overwhelming response in the last four or five days. So right now I've got CDs that are ready to roll. I don't have vinyl. Um, it'd be great for there to be a desire for that. Um, but it's super expensive for an, and I know you know this man, but oh, it's yeah. super expensive for an indie artist to go out and just go print 500 albums, you know? So I don't know. It'd be a good problem to have down the road. Yeah. I mean, I think I've heard somewhere, someone told me that the profit margin was higher on vinyl, but you have to be able to move a lot of copies and I don't think he was talking 500. Like it was probably, you know, at least a thousand. I, I don't really know. I don't know all the numbers, but he was, he was saying that the profit margin is a lot better on vinyl versus CDs. But you have to be a band that can move, you know. Absolutely. The, the yeah. Numbers and so. And I'd say that's accurate. And I'd say it's closer to a thousand minimum. Um, but it's. Uh, yeah, no, it's not cheap, you know, but you get what you pay for, um, of course. But we, we'll we we'll see. Yeah, well, you never know, man. Maybe you'll you sell enough CDs, sell enough downloads, and this thing takes off. You might be, you know, a year from now, revisiting the idea of you know it, doing vinyl. It'd be, it'd be nice for you and I to be talking about that a year <laughs> from now, man. Well, I, I hope you know. you know. I hope we are, but. You never know, man. I, it's just one of those things. I know how it is being a being an artist, and it's uh, it's tough, you know. Now, Absolutely. Nowadays, yeah. there's so many people out there fighting for the same thing, you know, and it's just hard to be the one that sticks out and gets recognized. But but you appear to have good songs and good, you know, good quality production. Um. I would say, just my first thought, I mean, obviously I only listened to the song for the first time a couple days ago and haven't heard the, the whole record, but my first impression, like I would tell people, like if you like the Foo Fighters, it's that kind of rock. That's That'd probably be like my most oh, generic wow. way of putting it for people that, you know, may only really know the Foo Fighters because that's damn near about the only... <laughs> a rock band left that's actually selling a lot of records and stuff. But, you know, there was elements of early 2000s rock too. Like there was some little things about that, that the one song in particular, the single that reminded me of, you know, like Hoobastanks, the only band that's coming to mind right now for some reason, but not necessarily that band, but just that era of the early 2000s. And, uh, and there was moments you're, your voice kind of reminds me of, uh, I can't think of his name, but the lead singer from Soul Asylum. Oh, uh, Dave. Uh, mm. Yeah. 
I know it's like on the tip of my tongue too. (laughs) (laughs) Man, well, listen, for you to even mention uh, Soul Asylum in bands like Foo Fighters is, uh, is, is such a compliment, man. And I, so I, I sincerely appreciate that. And you know, the, the, the Foo Fighters, you know, they are just unapologetically raw, powerful, loud, and have an, have an emotion, um, an emotional message. I can't speak right now, but, um, you know, we, we, we talked about that as being, you know, the part of the vision for the record. And, you know, Travis, Travis is a guy, my producer at Lakeside Studios who grew up the same era that we did. And he played in a, in a, you know, a, uh, kind of a hair rock band, if you will. Um, back in the eighties and nineties and, uh, is a tone junkie and a harmonies junkie, just like me, just like you. And so, you know, he asked me, he said, what, what are we doing? You know? And I said, man, we're not going to do what's trendy may not sell a hundred CDs may not get any streams and downloads, but this is what we're going to do, man. And, uh, you know, let's, Let's just make it a pure raw rock album that's imperfect. I want it to be organic and sort of in that same vein with Foo Fighters because they, they, that's what I think they deliver. And, uh, you know, even, even Collective Soul, um, I saw them live maybe two years ago. And with, even with all, you know, their entire, they're in they're, all of their records. Some of there's piano, there's organ, there's there's strings that Ed Roland has inc- incorporated. Man, they didn't have they didn't have tracks. They weren't running anything but two guitars, maybe an acoustic twelve string that Ed would play. And I saw that show in Chattanooga, and it just blew my face off. And it was just raw, loud. And, uh, that's what rock and roll is to me. And that, that was, that was part of what inspired me on this record was guys like that, bands like that, without trying to jump onto a trend right now. Um, you know, for, for better or for worse, I guess, but that, that was part of the vision. Sounds like all you need to me. So, I mean, (laughs) you know. I'm with you on that, dude. And, you know, and I hate tracks. I mean, I love to hear about bands that, you know, can go out and sound that good and put on a great show and not rely on all that bullshit backing tracks. And that that, that stuff's just so silly to me. I, I don't get it. I, well, there's, there's, there's a lot of people doing it and a lot of people dig it and, and don't really care. And if that's their thing, man, I'm, you know, I'm not going to criticize it, um, but you know, for me, I'm like you. I'm more of a purist, man. And you know, seeing Kiss in concert, seeing you know Aerosmith. I'm, I mean, you know, seeing Ted Nugent, seeing ACDC. Like nobody ever thought of tracks. Right. You know, it just it was just they came out and they delivered, and it moved you, and it you know. <laughs> I mean, it made you want to jump over a building. And like you said earlier, man, roll the windows down, put it in, and just just <coughs> crank your volume, man. And that's that that's the intent of this record, man. 
undoubtedly. Well, hell yeah. So you probably mentioned some of them anyhow, just in that last uh, sentence there or that last piece with ACDC and Aerosmith. I assume that everybody you mentioned is a you know big influence uh, to you as a writer and performer and everything. What you know? What are some of your biggest influences? If you know, there's any beyond that, which I assume there are. Man, be careful! <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some weird ones out at you, man. So oh, no, man, you can't uh, weird yeah. me out. I mean, you can um, try. I hope you do, but <laughs> I'm man. I'm a I, I'm weird in that. You know, my girlfriend laughs at me all the time because I I hear a song. I you know I remember where I was and how old I was when I heard that song. And she just looks at me like I'm crazy. And the first, I, the first, the first song that ever moved me, I guess that was an influence, was "Let Your Love Flow" by the Bellamy Brothers. And you know, not that that was a a current influence, but I remember the first time I heard "You Shook Me All Night Long" by ACDC, and I remember the first time I heard "Stranglehold" by Ted Nugent. So. You know, you know, just the same with you, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, Ted Nugent. Um, Man, believe it or not, but, Led Zeppelin's like not even close to being one of mine. People think I'm crazy all the time because I'm like, ah, they just don't really do that much for me. <laughs> and I'll, be, I'll get so much hate for it, but you know. I, I, I actually get that and I understand it because there, there, there are bands that just – for whatever reason, just don't do it for me, but they're, they're, they're wildly popular. Um, so no, I, I totally get it. But, you know, I tell you, man, there's a band, brother Kane was a big influence on me, man. I mean, I remember where I was sitting at a stoplight in a piece of crap Toyota truck in 1995 when I heard bread maker, you know? And so I really jumped on, I jumped on the Brother Kane bandwagon, and Damon Johnson just always – I mean, he doesn't do anything half-ass. He never has. And I love Brother Kane, but, man, the Bodines, band oh, out of yeah. Wisconsin. Hell, yeah. I think that's I, the first I, band I ever saw live, actually. You have got to be kidding me. Well, Where was that? Uh, they played the the fair, the, the Peoria Fair here back in 94. I think it was when that Closer to Free song broke. Okay. When Party of Five was on, and that was like the yeah, theme song yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I had only heard, I think I had only heard that song, and my parents wouldn't let me go to concerts and stuff. And for some reason, you know, I remember I was detasseling all day long, and I wanted to go just because my mom was going to take me. And I thought it was cool because my parents wouldn't take me to shows and wouldn't let me go to them. And I was just dog ass tired and almost didn't want to go. And we went and saw the Bodines and I've been a fan ever since. I mean, they're just everything up to that record was just some great songs. I haven't been a huge fan since the album after blend, I thought was pretty good. Everything after that, it's kind of been a wash for me, but. Well, I, man, that's so cool that you're a Bodines fan. I, um, I've, I've probably seen them a half a dozen times, but I, I mean, Sammy and Kurt are heroes of mine and they, you know, what I like about those guys is that they're not trying to be complex and impress anybody with, with a, a chord progression. Okay. Or, or, uh, a, a killer riff, man. I mean, it's just, Hey, you know, I got a concept, I've got an idea. Here's the chorus. 
it's three chords and harmonies from heaven, man. That's how I, I, I categorize the Bodines. And so I played a lot of Bodines in cover bands and I played them in solo acoustic shows and especially duets. And man, it's, I mean, you're, you know, you're a musician man. you, you understand it's sometimes just playing two acoustic guitars with harmonies is extremely gratifying to play a lot of Bodines and people would come up and, and ask who that was. It's like, man, that's, that's Sammy and Kirk, you know, Bodine. So they were a big influence on me. Um, but then man, I, you know, I'd, I'd go through these phases where I'd get into stacks. I'd get, you know, I'd get into Motown. I'd, um, you know, went to the stacks museum in Memphis and, um, you know, it's, I mean, Sam and Dave, I mean, I, I love those guys, incredible harmonies. Um, so they, you know, I'm, like I said, Travis is a harmony junkie. I'm a harmony junkie. And so if it had emotion, um, great harmonies, great hooks, um, Kings of Leon is one of the more, I call it recent bands, uh, tonic back in the nineties. You were asking me about some of these bands and of course, Tom Petty and the heartbreakers. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you could not say Tom Petty and the heartbreakers. Right. (laughs) I I mean, you should, you should lose major cool points. If you do not mention Tom Petty and the heartbreakers. if Um, If you don't like Tom Petty, you have no place in my life. No, <laughs> I'm going to steal that, by the way. Hey, and I'll tell you what, this goes back to the conversation we were having about vinyl earlier. You said you bought the Eagles greatest hits. And for the reasons that you bought that and put it on, damn the torpedoes to me. Oh, come on now. That's the best sounding record ever. I mean, you get that on vinyl and you crank that up and it's, you can, I'm, I always tell people like, man, you can hear the room. You can hear, you know. You can hear the damn drum room and uh, just to me, that's what makes a great sounding record is here in the room, you know, which bums me out being like a songwriter in this era where, you know, like I'm recording a lot of like my stuff at home, doing a lot of the home studio stuff. And a lot of people are right. And it's, you know, such a, such a bummer, but, um, but man, that that album alone is a true testament to why Sound City was so great. You know, I I do say there are perfect songs and there are perfect albums, and and that that's one of them. I mean, everything about it to me and you. I mean, we're we're cut from the same cloth, obviously. But that um, I've obsessed over that record. I've obsessed over a lot of records, but. Um, to me, Highway to Hell is a perfect rock album. Oh, yeah. um, you know, Boston's first record was a perfect rock album. Um, but, in, you know, but Tom Petty, I mean, just, I just like that he throws stuff out there and he's not necessarily trying to impress anybody. And it's, um, I don't know, my son, my son's 15. And to this day, listen to her heart is his favorite Tom Petty song. Wow. <laughs> and so it's I might be raising him right. Cool. Uh, <laughs> it probably has something to do with it, yeah. But, I mean, that's cool to hear, you know, the younger generation that, you know, picking up on that stuff. I mean, 
that's when you know you did something right as a parent. So hey. <laughs> yeah, well, he's uh, and he seems to be a, a good drummer too. I mean, he's 15 and already cut a drum track on a record in the studio. So that right there, man. Well, thank you, man. He's he's got he's blessed with some talent, and he he work he really works at it. He's a throwback, man. You would. You would love having a conversation with him about music and some of the bands that you and I talk to, and uh, you know he'll he'll get off into some of the rage against the machine and Primus, and um, but you know he asked me one day, he said, "Dad, have you ever heard of Cake?" I said, "Yeah, I've heard of Cake." He goes, "Man, they're so cool," and so you know he goes off in in all kinds of different directions, but uh, um, yeah, he's man. I used to go to Guitar Center. And look at all their axes and pick up some strings, you know, or whatever. And the first time I took him in Guitar Center, he was six years old, and he um, he he heard somebody playing drums uh, over there, and he 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 gravitated over there, man, just by himself. So I followed him, and he sat down and started banging on a snare drum, and has never really looked back. I, I you know, he messes around with guitar, but. That's his first love. And, um, you know, so we've gone through what's been beautiful, man. You'll appreciate this is we, I've been able to go through another rush phase, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where he's going, dad, do you hear what he's doing in red barchetta? And I'm going, Seth, uh, I've only listened to that maybe 550 times is all. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've, I've heard it, but it's, it's, it's fun to go back and, and have him rediscover that, um, or discover for the first time, whereas I'm rediscovering it. So very right. cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I got, uh, my, my son is four. I have two daughters that are older and I, I don't know. My oldest kind of got into music, but neither one of them have really been that into it. But my, my four year old son, you know, he uh, discovered Kiss. I mean, I showed him Kiss, or I don't, I don't really remember the exact moment, but he uh, he got pretty obsessed with it. You know, it's easy for some, for a kid who's four because they're just so, you know, to them it's like this supernatural thing. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> right. And uh, but it's funny because he's he's only four, and I can I can put it on, and he. He knows the difference, you know, like if I put something else on and try to tell him it's kiss, he's like, no, it's not. So man, Gene and Paul would really like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I they, don't, they, I don't, they, sometimes they ignore stuff on social media and then somebody like that will put a picture of their four year old son. Like and all of a sudden, man, Paul and Gene just make a, they'll make a comment and they love it. So yeah, <laughs> they're paying attention. Um, it's funny cause he doesn't think the, the ballads will come on like even hard luck woman. He argues with me. I'll go, this ain't kiss. Really? I'll go, no man, it's kiss. No, it's not kiss. I'm like, <laughs> dude, it's it can't and, be dad. And Beth just straight pisses him off. Like, you know. We've got like one of the little Alexa speaker things and he knows how to operate it. And he'll be like, Alexa, play kiss. And he'll get pissed off. If Beth comes on, he'll come over mad at, at, at the Alexa, you know, like dad, Alexa's not listening to me. That's not kiss. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's a lame ass <laughs> ballad, but it's 
kiss, technically. No. Okay. I quit. I <laughs> give up. You're right. That is hilarious. I can see it. I, I can see it. You know, when when I was younger, I, I hate to admit this, man, but I couldn't understand why somebody else was singing in a band besides the main lead singer, right? Right. Like, for instance, Randy Meisner saying, take it to the limit. And I used to want, well, like, who? Who is that? Well, where where's Don Henley? What I don't, you know. And then I I came to find out how fortunate they were that they had guys that could could sing that well, um, and and would and would trade off. But uh, but yeah, different. Uh, that's very cool about your son, man. <laughs> Beth. Yeah, he's a funny dude. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, what else are you turning him on to? I mean, what else does he respond to? Uh, man, sometimes I'll play some other stuff and, you know, um, and he'll he'll kind of, like, ask about it and nod his head to it and whatever. But most of the time, if I try to turn him on to anything else, he will uh, – he'll just ask for Kiss. <laughs> he'll be like, play Kiss instead. But um, it, ministry, it, though, <laughs> uh, Jesus built my hot rod. That – I put that on and he just loses his mind. It's it's hilarious. Well, I'll have friends over and I'll just be like, hey, watch this. And I'll put that song on and he just loses his shit and like head bangs and jumps around, bounces off the walls during the entire duration of the song. So so it's nonstop. Yeah. So <laughs> he's a funny dude, but. Well, well, maybe there'll be one tune off the Sonic Fuel record. That 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 he'll there might be the next single coming out might be something he would be interested in. Um, it's a it it's it's the you know not to get off on the record it's it's the by far the hardest driving song on the record. Um, and uh, uh, we're kind of fired up about releasing that thing. We we have uh, been shooting a video this week um, in parts and pieces, but uh, it's a song called Scream. So it's oh yeah, I remember the clip of that because I actually meant to bring that song up. It okay, was just the short cool. clip, short yeah. the short clip. But it was it was probably the most memorable. I mean, it was the one that stuck with me after watching it. I I remembered like oh man that that song sounds like it's going to be cool. So you're on to something there, man. I can't, I'm looking forward to hearing the whole thing. That's for sure. Well, yeah, no, and I appreciate that, man. It's uh, I. A lot of it was just what's going on in society, and I just I just thought, man, seeing something like what I just saw on the news or whatever on my homepage, it just makes you want to absolutely scream. Yeah. And um, so we 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 that's the only song where we. We, we we brought in some audio clips um, of actual news footage, and you'll hear that at the beginning of the song in the bridge, um, talking about genocide, social injustice, um, inequality, and uh, it, it's going to stir some emotions, man. Right, wrong, or indifferent. But uh, um, I'm 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 not trying to pander to anybody. The song was written a year and a half ago and we finished recording it last fall and it was mastered of course in January. So 
not trying to jump on some social bandwagon for monetary reasons at all, but it's coming out there. Um, and uh, well, it I'm stoked like about it. I mean, the, the clip I heard, it sounded like a single. So I, to me, <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone will assume. I mean, some people are just assholes and they're going to accuse you of, you know, of all that. But at the end of the day, man, yeah. when I heard it, I thought, well, that sounds like a single. You know, and so why wouldn't you put that out as a yeah. single? <laughs> no, man. Thank you. The it's timing a, just happens to be, you know, happens to coincide with everything going on. So, well, and you know, my producer's a dude that doesn't mince words. He doesn't have anything to prove. He's Grammy nominated. He's won Dove awards. He's got over thirty number one hit singles to his credit. He 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 doesn't mince words at all. And I came out of the vocal booth after laying down the chorus on screen. And he said, you know, I'm laying down on the floor, drenched in sweat with a fan blowing in my face and a pounding headache. And he said, man, if you don't take this song to ESPN and get them to play this for, for, for college football promo, you're crazy. He said, I'm not going to help you do it. That's not what I do. But this song is badass and uh that's a heck of a compliment coming from travis wyrick so yeah man i'm really excited about that song yeah that's that's a damn nice compliment and so when you were in the studio i mean i noticed that you uh there was a little shot of all the the amplifiers they had and i'm kind of a gear junkie are you kind of a gear junkie too (laughs) Man, not not as much as as you are. I I mean, I play guitar. I've got some cool amps, um, but I I wouldn't consider myself a gear junkie, man. I don't I don't consider myself a true guitarist, man. Like a Damon Johnson or an Andy Wood or a Will McFarlane, man. I mean, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's sure some... as hell isn't. I'm not either any of those either, but. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently I like to think I am and buy all the shit you know, to try to make me sound. I mean, you know, we, we mixed it up. Um, we used, we used an AC 30 a lot. We used the, uh, EVH 5150 head. We used that a lot. We're running through, um, a Marshall 412, um, with Celestians, um, we used the, uh, I don't think we used the orange amp. We used, I think we used the JCM 800. Um, I think those are the main, main ones that we used to answer your question. Yeah. And of course we use different axes, but, um, uh, um, and we we actually used a PRS baritone um, guitar on several of the songs. Man, are you? Do you have you ever played a Barry? You know, I never have, aside from picking one up in a guitar shop and just kind of noodling on it for about thirty seconds. But I've I've heard I had there was a guy that cut a baritone part for me once, and because uh, I'd ask him to cut some slide, and he's just like a real. He just has a great ear, great player, and I'm not good on slide at all. But then he gave me this slide track and this baritone track, and it was and together they were amazing. I, I, I was blown away. I was like, ah, oh, shit! Like it almost made me want to buy one, but I never did. 
Well, I may, I may end up getting one. Um, we, uh, I, you know, I did some research on that and apparently stained was one of the bands that started using berries a lot on their, on their, on their session recordings. And, uh, um, it's a, it's a different animal, man, but it's got its place and it's, it's got a ton of depth to it. Um, it was a lot of fun laying, laying down tracks on that, on that PRS berry, man. So do you lay you laid down a lot of the guitar tracks too? I mean, I know you aside from all these guest players and stuff, but Oh yeah, rhythm tracks, you know, acoustic. Um, I did. Uh Travis laid down some. Um Chris Robbins laid down some of the arpeggio stuff in pre production that we kept. And we don't like using some of the bigger, fatter uh, getting some of the tones that we need <clears throat> from, you know, uh, the processors that some of the cleaner stuff, uh, just turned out really good. So there was, there was really no need to, to go in and redo that. But, um, the big balls out raging guitars that you hear, um, you know, we got through our amps, um, in a traditional manner. So, um, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, man making noise and uh playing those big power big power chords yeah that's what it's all about man i don't there's you know nothing feels better than just playing a big ass chord you know les paul plugged into a jcm 800 or really any marshall for that matter uh i know you are you a strat guy though because i remember seeing the pictures and you had a strat all right, I'm so glad you asked me that, okay? Because that image is out there, right. and I actually used it in the screen video. But it's 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 a GNL, um, it's an S500 custom. But man, if you if you zoom in, I've got Seymour Duncan pickups uh, in in that thing. I've got it loaded up, so got I've got two GNLs. It. Um, it's the little 59s. Oh, okay. And, um. I've, you know, playing Les Pauls, it really wears on me um, physically. And we'll say that we didn't play them in the studio because we did. Um, But as far as what I have and what you see, I think there's one clip of me playing a Paul uh, on Karma in the EPK. Um, That thing, surprisingly, is not that heavy. Um, But... uh, that belongs to the lakeside, but no, man, I just, I, I, I'm a G and L fan. Um, you know, it just fits me. It's a little lighter and I just load those things up and I put 12s on and, and just, just let it rip. So that's typically what I use. Nice. Yeah. I've heard of a lot of players using 12s and I, I don't know. I use 10s and I use 12s on my acoustic, but I've never thought about, you know, Getting he- going heavier on the strings on on my electric guitars, but I've thought about it after hearing people doing that, you know. So yeah, I, you know, uh, if 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 I were if I were playing leads, I, there's no way I could do that. Although I did hear Stevie Ray Vaughan use twelves, um, which is not really surprising. But uh, yeah, no, I've been using twelves for for years, man, and. Uh, yeah, you get used to them. Yeah. Um, well, just cool. waiting on an endorsement deal from uh, 
you know, from a string manufacturer any day. So I'm kidding, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are nice to stumble upon. I, I haven't had any luck myself. Otherwise I'd try to give you some pointers on that, but <laughs> of course. So yeah. Yeah. No, not, a, not, a, not necessarily a, a strat guy. There's a, there's a place for it. Um, but, uh, no, I, I, if it, if, it, if it doesn't have humbuckers, man, I'm, 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 I'm not playing it. All right. Well, for what you're doing, man, for that big rock sound, I mean, humbuckers are definitely the way to go, you know? So absolutely. And especially, I don't know what your live band, I assume, do you have, you got a bass player, you got a drummer. Do you have a permanent guitar player? In your live I do. So uh, I, I, we, now we have it performed as sonic fuel. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a buddy of mine named Phil Sandifer, who's just a phenomenal player, um, is going to be handling the, uh, lead guitar duties for me, uh, if, and when we get out, man. So I might add just, I might add another piece, another guitar, um, so that I can, you know, move around a little bit more. Um, I've not done that. I've never done that. I've always played, I've always played and sang in every band I've been in. Um, but I got a little bit of a taste of it. A friend of mine had a band and his, uh, his singer, well, I had to go out of state for an extended period of time. They had three, had three or four shows booked. And he said, man, you know, can you just show up and just sing? You don't have to learn anything. These are songs you already know, you know, lyrically. Can you just help us out? And I said, okay, I'd be glad to. So uh, it initially, Brent, it, it felt weird, man. You're up there and you feel naked. I don't know if you've ever done that. but <laughs> I've done it a couple times and I hated it. So, yeah, I, I never did yeah. a full show, though. I never did that. I I had a couple times where a buddy got up and played my guitar and then i just stood there and sang and it was like yeah like i you don't know what to do with it, yourself it's like it's weird right yeah, it's you like feel that, exposed i mean it's like the ricky bobby thing like where they're interviewing him and he doesn't know what to do with his hands on the <laughs> talladega nights you know talladega nights yeah. yeah it's like that's how i feel i said i yeah i don't like doing it but so i i'm i'm a little bit torn i mean i, I may do that um <sighs> I, I don't know. I we'll we'll just have to say it's a good problem to have, but uh, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't play it on certain songs or be able to bring out an acoustic because you, in, in you, you know you understand how it works. A lot of these quote unquote rock songs still have uh, an you know an acoustic embedded in there. You don't necessarily know that you're hearing it, right. but that's one of Travis's things where you know. Um, it's a song called Wild and Free. Um, that song has got some some really heavy guitars in it, but it just lent itself to an acoustic guitar. So, and they, you know, that may give me an opportunity to play some acoustic while I've still got two electric guitars on stage. So we'll, we'll see, man. Yeah. Well, Vince, Vince Neil did that, you know, so hey, why not, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, if we're his not was going ever, there, are we? Huh? I don't know if yeah, I don't know if his was ever plugged in, and if it was, it probably shouldn't have been. I don't, I don't know, but that's probably a whole. I, he, yeah, and the, you know, there's still 
I guess they're planning on touring next year. I, I, I don't know. Um, well, I wish them luck on that. I have, uh, people have probably listened, the people that listen to this have probably already heard my, my rant about how I feel about that whole thing. So I, I think they should have just kept that hung up and moved on. And Tommy can keep making his shitty <laughs> solo singles, whatever the hell those things are. Uh, Man, I, yeah. I, I get to a point where, you know, and I'm in a big group text with some buddies and it, it's, you know, the majority of the time we're talking about bands and, and artists that we love and grew up listening. For me, it's like sad, man. I could, I mean, it hurt me physically seeing Eddie money the last two or three years, man. I'd see him on TV. I'd see him on, you know, in his performance now, not when he's just, you know, in real life. Um, but seeing, seeing, seeing some of these bands perform that I grew up loving and have, have and you know, hold to a certain standard. And now what they're trying to do is to me, it's just disappointing, man. It tarnishes their legacy. And I, I kind of hate to see it sometimes. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that is exactly how I feel with it. Yeah. It's go out on top, just go out on top, you know, like I, yeah, when they sit there and drive it into the ground, like, ah, oh, it's just, it's just brutal to watch, you know. And Vince was never a great singer in the first place. But I'm not even sure he's even a bad singer now. I'm not even sure he's a singer. I don't <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's doing half the time, you know. And Well, and 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 conversely, I'll say I was really skeptical about going to see ACDC on their uh, even their Black Ice tour. Right. Um, But I thought Brian Johnson was phenomenal. Um, And, you know, supposedly they're coming out with a new record, which I'm stoked about. Um, But I I I really hope that that they're not they're not pushing it, pushing something out where it's evident that that he's lost it. yeah. You know, so I got high hopes for that new ACDC record is what I'm saying. But uh, no, man, I, we, we share the same sentiment about some of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't I'm, I hope I don't regret saying this, but I, I don't see ACDC coming out and doing it half assed. I think they kind of that's a band that gets it, I, I believe, you know, like they seem to have their head on pretty straight. I know a lot of people didn't agree with the Axel thing, but. You know, did was, you, what did you think about that? I I thought he was I, the I right thought, singer for it. The videos I saw, I thought he sounded good. You know, man, I do too. And there were so many people that were critical of Axl Rose. And I'm not saying I'm I'm condoning what he did back in the 80s and 90s, but look what he did. First off, was really hard to do. Okay, and and to pick up and learn those songs uh, like they need, like you know, like they deserve to be sang. He learned them. And then I thought he performed them really well. And the other thing he did not do that I was that I admired was he didn't make it around about him. He wasn't jumping around like Axl Rose of Guns and Roses. He was a singer in ACDC. Right. And I just I, I still respect that to this day. Um, but yeah. is that your band, by the way? Is that your, if you had to choose, is that your one band? Uh, no, probably not. I don't know if I okay. could choose, to be honest with you. It would probably, if I had to choose my number one, it probably would be Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Okay, well, you can't go wrong with that. Um, 
Is that yours? I take it. Is that yeah? ACDC. If I had to choose, I mean, I, I would, I would take every one of their records, and and if I just had to have one, I'd be totally content with it. So, uh, what for whatever that says about me, but uh, um, yeah, you know, live at River Platte. Have you seen that DVD? I don't know if I've seen that one. I've seen several, so if I have, I'm just not remembering the name. I remember. I mean to. Uh, to me, to see, to see, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess like ten to twelve thousand people on the floor, just on the floor, from an elevated behind the stage view, seeing ten to twelve thousand people jumping in unison to "Dirty Deeds" or "Highway to Hell" or "If You Want Blood." I mean, I don't know that to me gives me chill bumps just talking about it but uh yeah man i'm a that would be my one band right on well i don't think there's too many people that would argue with you on that i mean they've you know they just they do what they do better than anyone else can do it you know because they are just acdc and they they don't really aspire to be anything else man that you know they they just want to be the best, you know, be themselves and be the best at it. So, and that's a really yeah. admirable thing, I think. I mean, it is. I mean, and they make no apologies for it at all. Yeah. And uh, I really, I really admire that. that. That's that's kind of what we're trying to do with Sonic Fuel, man. Not that we're even should be in the same sentence at all, but. Uh, um, well, you are now, so you put it there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you, it sounds like, and you, you can elaborate real quickly because I want to hear you weren't allowed to go to concerts and you weren't allowed to listen to quote-unquote rock music. Is that what I heard you say earlier? I wasn't allowed to go to concerts. I wasn't necessarily okay. not allowed to listen to rock. I did listen to rock. And, and my parents, they didn't really keep a close eye on what I was listening to necessarily. Um, every once in a while... I was usually smart about it. My brother was kind of a dumbass, and he'd he'd crank something up with you know some foul language in it, and uh, end up getting you know <laughs> yelled at. Then all of a sudden, there's the there's the investigation of what the hell are you listening to, you know? But yeah, of um, course. But I mean, my mom was always a little bit more lenient than my dad was on that stuff, and it's it's so weird because if you met my parents now, you'd just be like. You'd think I was making it up, you know what I mean? Because they're not really super uptight, but but during my teenage years, they kind of were, and I get it because I've raised a teenager. My oldest daughter's twenty one, and you know, I I get the responsibility of you know having to raise a good human, and you know, there's a lot of pressure, and it doesn't get any easier as as time goes on, and so they you know did what they thought was uh, the right thing to do to keep me from. You know, probably smoking pot and drinking and all the things that I did anyhow, eventually. <laughs> but so they failed on their mission. Um, but, you know, I get it. And they don't give me shit or anything for doing it now. And they've been in a band now. My parents come out to my shows and stuff. And they don't. Yeah. It's not like they look down their nose at it. But just at the time, it was like, no, you're not going to concerts. And, and that was, uh, you know, 90s early to mid nineties. So you, you got to figure, I guess it was coming straight out of the, the excess of the eighties where, 
you know, it was, you know, the epitome of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Like, so. Uh, no, it was. I I wasn't allowed to go to concerts either, man. And I, I, uh, I still hate the fact that I missed out on my senior beach trip senior year because i went to see van halen in concert on that 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 first tour they did with eddie and sammy and um i was just there was no way i was going to miss that concert man you know and um yeah so i paid the price for rock and roll man (laughs) well i did the same thing man i snuck out and saw motley Crue and uh I was grounded. My, it was funny because, yeah, my parents grounded me for a month, and I, I still remember my mom going, well, was it worth it? Like all cocky to me about it, and I was like, hell yeah, it was. I don't yeah. give a shit. Like <laughs> if I wasn't ready to you know, pay the price, I wouldn't have gone to the damn show. I just would have stayed home and you know, done nothing. But, yeah, good times. <laughs> Everybody's got to have a story like that, though, you know? Not, I mean, no, I've got plenty of a man, but uh... – We'll have to trade some more stories like that down the road, man, if we get an opportunity. Yeah, man, definitely. I'd like to uh, we'll have to touch base maybe after the record comes out in November and uh, see how things are going, you know. So it'd be great. Yeah, Brent, really appreciate the time, man, and uh, appreciate you uh, getting the record or the single on and and uh, for the support, man. Really do. Yeah, no problem, man, and uh, you know, thank you for calling in taking the time to have a conversation and you know it's been a good i think it's been a pretty good conversation so i look yeah, forward to I've doing enjoyed it again it. man uh, absolutely all <laughs> right man be good brother all right yep take it easy all right take care brand.